there's nothing more American than the pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps, 40 hours a week, plus overtime, elbow grease, and coffee capitalism. So foundational to the American spirit that capitalist and patriot might as well be interchangeable stateside. And what's the natural and hated enemy of capitalism? Socialism. The thing that those commie fuckers in China, North Korea, Vietnam, and Laos practice. The thing that threatens to take all the good things about being in the good old U.S. of A., and throwing it in the dumpster like strip clubs throw out condoms. But is that true? Or is socialism and capitalism two halves of a fair system that we for some reason want to rip apart? This episode was a dense one to research, but a much easier one to spit out, and that's what she said. But in no other episode have I found myself so aggressively facepalming or shaking my head like a wet dog only to laugh about how stupid we can be sometimes. So let's talk capitalism and socialism and the useless arguments between them on this episode of Why Aren't You Talking About This? Hello everyone, and welcome to Why Aren't You Talking About This, episode number 6. I'm your host, William, and I will be the financial demon in your ear telling you to buy stocks into crypto today. Not really, but thank you to everyone for giving this podcast a download or a stream in your app of choice. It means a lot to me that you're listening. Everything from hate listening to putting up with it because you made the mistake of liking someone in my family, and all the way up to being a simp trying to figure out where to contact my personal accounts. Alright, so once again, this is normally where I do stuff like give you updates and additional information about stuff going on related to the podcast, but I don't really have anything to talk about on that front. I, hey, it's still not even episode 10 yet. What do you expect? Big merch announcement? Anyways, let's go to the actual episode. Okay, so this episode we're talking all about the joyful and totally not at all boring or deeply depressing topic of the economy and economic policy. Wait, 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 don't leave yet. I know that sounds like it's going to be exactly like those things I just said, but it's not. We're going to talk about what capitalism and socialism are and why they get compared. Sound more interesting? No? Uh, what if I threw in a bunch of jokes at the expense of America and made really dumb metaphors? Cool. Okay, so let's start with capitalism because it's the less scary one for the notoriously easy-to-spook American audience, and it's also first in alphabetical order. Capitalism is an economic system characterized by public ownership in which free markets control the production, sale, and distribution of goods and services. So, pretty self-explanatory, right? We all know exactly what that entails and we don't need to talk about it any further. And I'm fucking with you. You can't escape that easily. Going a little deeper, capitalism is built on the interplay between capitalists, laborers, and consumers. In this model, a capitalist is the business owner, the laborer produces the goods or services, 
and the consumers use the goods or services. Under this system, the capitalist employs a team of laborers to do the work in exchange for monetary compensation for their effort. Notably, however, they do not own the means of production. Now, if you're having flashbacks to the Red Menace and are hyperventilating because you can hear Russian, don't panic yet. Means of production, or the politically correct way to say it, capital goods, are owned by the capitalists and not the laborers. Now, what this means is that the stakes the worker has in the business is that it keeps running, so they continue to get currency and disregard the constabulary, but they don't have any deeper investment. Unlike the capitalist that owns not only the capital goods, but also owns the land that the work is taking place on. But before we get into the concept of land ownership, yeah, we're going there, we have to talk about the idea of a market first. Basically, a market is the community of us mouth breathers that consume the products of capitalists in question. A market economy, which I know that's a confusing name, is an economy based around the supply and demand of the market in question. So the higher the demand for goods of us mindless consumers, the more the capitalists have to supply in order to keep up. And this relationship is the backbone of capitalism. This system of disorganized, seemingly random and voluntary processes of consumers saying, I want silicone feet with a vagina in the sole, a capitalist buying a pussyfoot factory and the machinery, and a team of laborers designing and building them while questioning their life choices in exchange for some of the capitalist money, and the capitalist sells the product to the consumer. I mean, until novelty-sized dildos become a hotter commodity and they switch over, but now we come back to the idea of land ownership. Basically, fundamental to capitalism, is that capitalists gain something from the exchange namely money, meaning that for capitalism to work, the capitalist has to have some kind of stock in not only the land, but the machines they use. Usually this means that they own the factory, business location, or the land it takes place on privately. Although in the modern day, renting is more common, but, but the concept stays the same. In the same way, to make sure that their products aren't purchased, studied, taken apart, and reverse engineered, and then reproduced for someone else, capitalists need to have some kind of protection for their stuff their stuff is never at any point considered their own private thing, what's the point of selling it when if you sell it, someone could just freely steal your ideas? So in order to make it work, the government or whatever stands in for the government has to protect intellectual property. And checkmate, liberal artists, that's right. The primary thing protecting your entire art form as you deride the very concept of capitalism for very much so ruining artistic integrity is something capitalism made. Kidding. Obviously, capitalism, even in this fairly simple explanation, has done some good things. We'll get back to some specifics later, but why does the government need to do this? Well, because of something called the tragedy of the commons. This is an economics metaphor for having rules in the economic system in general. Basically, imagine a village whose main export is sheep. And no, not the weird sheep-shaped sex dolls that are still somehow being sold. Actual sheep. Well, this village has a policy that the common greens are free for everyone to use their heart's content. Say one member of the village realizes, oh fuck, fatter sheep sell better, so he begins to crowd the commons with his own flock. To the point that everything that isn't sheep shit and dead grass has already been eaten, and the entire green is just a massive pit of mud and shit. Beyond his neighbors being mad, now everyone is fucked because the good land is gone now and no one wants to buy their sickly sardine sheep so everyone just fucking died. So the reason the government needs to introduce private ownership is because some people are assholes that refuse to recognize that being an asshole hurts everyone, including themselves. So, 
turn this back to the foot pussies from earlier. If, if this original design had no protections from the government, the first capitalist that comes up with it would essentially have to control the entire market to prevent anyone from stealing his idea. So he buys all of the latex and vagina molds on the entire planet and hoards them. Well, clearly, that harms everyone. Because now, he's made these things so rare that the people making those products will upcharge the fuck out of him, and he's probably going to baby rage about it. Now the economy is tanked because someone wanted to fuck an ankle. Alright, so maybe not the best example, but, I mean, you know what I mean, right? Privatization is important to capitalism because it lets people keep their ideas and sell their products with the confidence that no random Toby Hunter or Cruz could steal the design and ruin it for everyone. The other driver of capitalism is profit motive. Basically, this is the assumption that both sides in an exchange want to profit off of it. So, like, you want to put your penis into an ankle and the capitalist wants to make some money from your weird, kinky, horny ass. You're both looking for a good deal, and so the price is determined by how much of a profit the capitalist wants and how much you're willing to pay to get some of that good ankosi. Now paired with this is the voluntary trade aspect, where consumers have choices on what to buy, meaning that you're also competing with everyone else who wants ankosi for that limited number that the capitalist could make with both the money and time their workers had to make it. All this creates a super competitive and strategic environment that is more sink or swim than a school bus flying off a bridge into a lake. In this, business needs to appeal to customers with a combination of price and supply in order to make the most profit available at the best gain to the customer, while the customer needs to compete to get the profit they want from the deal before someone else beats them to it. And the way that capitalists are successful is through high profits. This means that they get more money out of the labor and capital goods than it costs for them to pay them, aka what their value is. Essentially, as a business, your success is measured by your ability to alchemy more money from less money. Now, let's look at the three major types of capitalism. The most capitalist of capitalist systems is called laissez-faire. Oh, you don't speak French. Here, let me translate. <clears throat> Anarcho-motherfucking-capitalism. This form of capitalism is that there are no rules besides what makes you that good, good green. No work safety, no minimum wage, no environmental protections and nothing to stop Big Daddy business from sticking his entire dick and balls in your mouth. This system also proposes absolute abolishment of public ownership, meaning that public roads are now owned by Roadways Incorporated, libraries are rental bookstores, and DHS is now corporate human resources, because guess what? Your parents had to sell you to the hospital to deliver you, and they still had to pay all of the money that they had anyways. And unless you're like, what? ultra-conservative, drinking the entertained flavor aid, or under the age of 16 and haven't taken econ yet, you can tell this is a god-awful idea. Imagine if the only rule was making money. Do you know how quickly Nestle would try to get royalties on tap water? How quickly Google would try to buy your social security number? And how fucking fast Amazon would turn their entire workforce into cyborgs that turn Amazon propaganda and positive COVID tests into fuel? Okay, so less scarily, and in the center of capitalism is mixed capitalism. This is basically what a lot of capitalist nations have now. Basically what we see above, except there is such thing as public ownership, government oversight, and rules and regulations to provide workers with some basic human rights. Now the exact degree to which a system has mixed capitalism is really dependent from system to system. Somewhere like the American South or the mining industry are closer to being on the strictly capitalist end, while industries that work with the government a lot and more liberal parts of the country are less capitalist. 
and that's just in the U.S. Some of the bluest parts of the country are maybe a touch further away from pure capitalism than the center line. Compared to the other end of the scale, which is welfare capitalism. And not welfare as in TANF. Welfare as in worker welfare. Here, while capitalism still exists and is really easily and commonly seen, Papa government is much bigger and more powerful and has a lot of rules. A lot of programs exist for social well-being, worker health and happiness, and general regulations to make industries sustainable, safe, and equitable. A lot of European nations are here with, with some big examples being places like Nordic countries that are notably socialist. And speaking of socialism, let's talk about that one. So socialism is a system in which the means of production are publicly owned. Basically, the public and common people that work the machines not only built the machines, but also tell each other what exactly it is they need so the people working in the factories are able to build it. This is meant to ensure lower waste, as well as products being produced that people actually need or want. But how do you do that on a higher societal level? I mean, sure, it'd be kind of easy for a town to figure that out, but what have you had to run the U.S. economy off of that? Well, that's where government comes in. Under socialism, the role of the government in the economy is to organize and collect data, and then put out production figures for how much should be produced and for what price. This central authority is also responsible for organizing everyone, ensuring that the work actually gets done. Now, if that sounds scary to you, not just in the flashback non-fears of communist way, you'd be right. One of the biggest difficulties with socialism is the power imbalance between the people distributing and organizing the system and people who aren't. There's also the massive infrastructure problem, because creating the means to both plan and prepare for such a large population is fucking hard. Like, really hard. And this is also a good moment to bring up communism. See, communism is like extreme socialism. Basically, the core belief is that in order to ensure a socialist society, you need to have a good old-fashioned class war. That class war then has to lead to a society where all property is public property and privatization is a fairy tale. Capitalists tell their children at night to keep them complacent while the strong communist children are working a triple shift in the coal mine. But getting back to socialism, what are some of its primary features? Well, first, there's a very wide and robust system of safety nets and social services that try to create an equitable society by giving the common people the ability to address their needs. Which sounds pretty fucking fantastic, right? Well, the other reason this exists is because of the potential downfalls of socialism. Basically, by having these public and social services, the government has a bit of a grace period if they do a whoopsie and make bread cost 50 crisp American dollars a loaf. The people can still eat, and the government gets a mushroom stamp on the wrist in the form of paying out the ass on social services. Also, workers are paid for their time rather than the profit margin they produce, meaning that people don't feel the rat race stress because the raise of their boss's boss depends on them putting in overtime. Instead, regardless of what they do at work, they are paid for their labor and not necessarily the margins, which, reasonably, has a potential pitfall. Unfortunately, there's not enough people in the world that have an effort complex like I do, and will quickly realize that they get paid to show up and not put effort in, and will just kind of float along. And if you think this is a checkmate against socialism, you've clearly never worked a minimum wage job. Do you know how many fucking people clock in and then blankly stare at a wall half their shift because they aren't paid enough to give a shit? Really, the shift here would 
just be rewarding someone for showing up on time rather than literally just doing enough to not cost their boss a pay raise. And production is also for the use of the product and not for profit. Which means that rather than being a capitalist swine and making four vials of insulin and telling diabetic people to fight to the death and pay 20 grand for a drop from one of them, you just make the amount of insulin that's on the Excel spreadsheet and then you sell that to the government. You always produce the exact amount of the goods that you need to make demand. Meaning that in a perfect world, there isn't really much, if any, waste. And people get the shit they need. And with the government making the pricing choices, hopefully they'd make the prices relatively fair. Now, if you're still seething and having to hold in, going into a tantrum like a toddler in every grocery store in America all at once, calm down a little. Remember your blood pressure, Roger. I want to note that while, yes, public ownership is for people's workplaces, the only form of socialist ideology that disallows private property at all is communism. And every other form of big bad government can be fucked to care about your lifted pickup or your hentai collection. Rather, the place you work and all the machines and shit you use is owned in part by you and all of your co-workers. But your house, your truck, your cat, your dog, that pile of way too red cartoon porn under your bed, all owned entirely by you. Now, let's talk briefly about the different kinds of socialism. And unlike capitalism, these ones are much easier to talk about. Versus democratic socialism, which is that the means of production are under the control of an elected group. Next is revolutionary socialism, which is basically communism, but the idea is that capitalism and socialism can't exist, and so socialism can only exist if you burn capitalism to the ground and turn the capitalists into fertilizer in your commune farm. Next is libertarian, the idea that without capitalism, people are naturally socialists and will cooperate and produce goods for the betterment of society and not for money. I wrote that wrong. It's libertarian socialism, not just libertarianism. Um, and then finally, there is market socialism, where workers control the means of production and distribute goods via a free market similar to capitalism. And then finally, finally, is green socialism, which is just hippie shit. Hug tree, fuck money, that kind of thing. Alright, now let's go over to the history. So we're going to start off in the ancient times. Now, this is going to be fairly nebulous, and not because I did bad research, but because in the ancient times the words capitalist and socialist weren't a thing. It was just called the economy. Anyways, in the earliest human societies, we call something we would call socialism. In small human tribes, villages, and other small collectives of people, early human groups very likely shared their resources and had a much more collectivist mindset than later on in history. Which makes sense, considering that at the time, people were more focused on survival than that alpha male grind set. Especially because all of the things that these early societies needed weren't things people could do alone, but also weren't so exclusive to specialize in. Meaning everyone had to cooperate and share to bring down a fucking mammoth, make the tools to do so, and to make clothing or use the big mammoth bones for anything. But all of that started to change when some fucking crazy kids decided to start making the goats fuck each other. As domestication of both animals and plants took root, systems we call capitalism begins to spring up. Because as people can focus on making the food, suddenly you don't need all hands on deck constantly to keep society running, and people have something for the first time that would eventually be a problem that led directly to the creation of this podcast. Free time. Meaning people can learn how to do shit that you can only learn by dedicating a lot of time and effort to it, which in turn caused specialization. 
as groups of people became larger and more and more specialization was possible, an economy and an open market formed. And for a long time, this became the balance. Throughout ancient history and medieval history, things we would call socialism and socialist policies were used for survival and maintenance of the state. If the community was threatened, it would lean back into being collectivist. And during these older times, many societies were highly collectivist in the first place. However, at the same time, large-scale economies were not dissimilar to modern-day capitalism in a lot of aspects. And then beginning in the 5th century, the ancestor of capitalism, feudalism, rules supreme over the Western world. Feudalism is a system in which nobles own the land given to them by the crown to maintain security over, in exchange for their services in the military. These nobles were then supposed to protect the people on the land, who would then pay them in taxes and labor in return. Now, while it was the predecessor of capitalism, it was not the direct predecessor. Instead, as feudalism started to get a little geriatric in the 1300s, it began to fall apart. And why was that? Well, firstly, because of the Black Plague. Feudalism requires a massive workforce, and a third of the entire continent dropping dead isn't really great for that kind of system. Also, the period between the 14th and 15th centuries were just filthy with warfare. The number of people in Europe killing each other was fucking crazy, and a lot of the common man was either being called up for military service, considering a lot of the professional soldiers either died in the earlier wars or the plague, and added on to that, feudalism had really overstayed its welcome, with global trade becoming less and less of a pipe dream, and silly little things like human rights being considered. The foundations of feudalism was getting wobblier than a drunk woman wearing stilettos, and the final blow was that labor became more and more valuable, and with fewer and fewer workers, nobles were willing to pay out the ass to beg laborers to work their lands. With all of this, by the 16th century, feudalism was replaced with capitalism's direct ancestor, mercantilism. Mercantilism is a system of economy where you push colonies and outposts to maximize their exports and minimize imports. What this means is that colonial and imperialist powers found colonies that then highly specialize in a particular output, which is then traded with the mother country for other supplies they don't specialize in without trading with each other. This makes the mother country incredibly wealthy, and especially the rich people funding everything. This means that rich people can pay workers a relatively small cut of the profits to collect goods from the farmers, who instead of paying them money, could sell them other goods meaning that massive empires like the British were making hand over fist in cash flow for basically zero direct input. Which, you know, I wish I would have thought of that, because holy shit, does that sound like a great way to make money. But anyways, how did this create capitalism? Well, because as the rich got richer, they realized, oh fuck, I can guarantee my profit margin by just straight up buying the workshops I get my shit from. As they became more all-powerful and were essentially half-cousins of each other, the ruling class in Europe could essentially set prices, meaning that prices began to outstrip worker wages, and this combined with the newly minted Protestant work ethic, for good Christian boys never rest, because nowhere in the Bible is rest emphasized, totally don't read it, to create a system in which hard, back-breaking labor was valued with the eternal reward of heaven and the very physical reward of being extremely rich. This created capitalism and caused it to skyrocket to the fucking moon in power and popularity. Popular for the rich because the brokies weren't complaining about busting their ball sacks and slipping discs on the grind set, 
and the broke people liked it because they thought they could join the rich people at the table one day. Not really understanding that they were rich because their families were, because their families were rich, because they just so happened to be bodyguard of William the Conqueror, because their families were rich, because they just so happened to be bloodthirsty enough to massacre some Roman colonists and steal their shit as Rome fell. And the shift in focus from mercantilism to capitalism, while largely seamless, was still based on commercial and luxury goods. Since at the time, a lot of merchant trading was done in stuff that was seen as having some incredible intrinsic value or was hard to manufacture. So stuff like drugs, alcohol, textiles, gold, cotton, silk, ivory, and shit. But during the 18th century, as these rich assholes were sitting around the table comparing recent religious artifacts they had bought from a shady archaeologist that had shot four natives trying to get it, is that industrial goods weren't really invested in in the same way. So by the mid-1700s, capitalism had set its sights on industrial production, which not only helped the Industrial Revolution kick off, but was also because the invention of the factory and industrial labor caused a handful of the richest people you've ever seen to spew buckets of jizz with a new avenue to club poor people over the head and have them thank them for it. And then in 1787 and all the way into 1815, a combination of the French Revolution and the Napoleonic Wars finally killed feudalism in a way that mattered and fully integrated France into the Western economy of the time. And if you're wondering, hey, where was socialism while this was happening? Well, not quite born yet. But at the eve of France entering into the world, like the end of the 2004 Godzilla movie, an egg cracked open hinting at the sequel that would come. And unlike the Godzilla movie, socialism broke out of its egg fully formed, swinging like Mike Tyson and incredibly popular. But why? Well, because under the increasing pressure of rapidly developing capitalism, a lot of workers were reasonably feeling more than a little stressed out. And the stress blended with the ideas of the collective good ideals of the Enlightenment era that mankind should strive to create the best conditions for the greatest number of people. With the capitalists not really doing that and abusing workers, socialism grew and spread roots all across the Western world. By the mid-1800s, socialism had wormed its way into politics and had profound effect on Western economies. And look, if you're hyperventilating and clawing at your face that your big pity waifu capitalism got to get fucked by the greasy tentacles of socialism, don't worry. Because in the beginning here, these policies weren't really enemies. In fact, in the mid-19th century, liberalism developed. The system was heavily capitalist, but strived to protect people and the individual. Kinda. See, it did include poverty relief and practices to ensure workers' rights and safety, but it viewed the capitalist concerns of more money, please, as just as valid as the workers' concerns of please God, let me keep my fingers today. And so this also included more robust national budget balances, gold standards for currency to protect from inflation, and money becoming worthless, and free trade agreements. At that point, the capitalists were like, see, all better now. Also fearing that maybe they'd like that greasy tentacle going to their orifices. However, the socialists at this point recognized that these motherfuckers were just helping each other again. And in 1848, a very important book was published by renowned author Karl Kochblock with an act Marx called The Communist Manifesto. In this book, Marx suggests that the only way to ensure a fair and equitable society is for the poorest of the workers to band together and burn the entire fucking system down, kill everyone that doesn't agree, and then reforge a perfect society. And while that is metal as shit, Clearly, some people disagreed, and this created a divide among socialists between the gradual socialists and the aggressive communists. And I can sense you shaking your boots, so you can probably tell that this anime is about to become a hentai. 
because in 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution, in response to abuses from the Russian government, fighting a losing trench war in the First World War, and letting a horse-cocked, goat-smelling, white-fucking barbarian of a mystical priest in the palace, overthrows the Russian government and massively implements socialist policies after a reign of blood and ashes. And seeing this work for the first time, the other horny little socialists began realizing that this shit was fucking legit and metal as hell and intellectuals and workers alike started talking about it openly. And then a year later, seeing as the entire world was just pummeled in the face by tanks, artillery shells, mustard gas, and adults lying to 18-year-olds about the glories of war that cost them their fucking legs, a lot of governments went to crisis mode and abandoned economic stalls like the gold standard and banking power moved to the much more environmentally, socially, and economically stable United States. Just in time for the Great Fucking Depression. And in desperation, a lot of people turned to one of two things. They either really started begging for big-titty capitalism to run the government for them and turn into an anarcho-capitalist utopia, or they invested heavily into socialist policies to help in the recovery efforts, including, but not limited to, things like welfare, minimum wage, and public works projects. Huh, wonder where that sounds familiar. Go listen to episode 4. Anyways, after recovering with the help of socialism, through the end of World War II, human rights violations boogaloo, a lot of the world saw the massive heterodontaries of capitalism and came running right back. Or in other words, with the adoption of many, many social safety nets in place, a lot of people felt renewed hope in capitalism. This led directly to places like the U.S. to invest heavily in capitalism again with a little socialism thrown in, or places across Europe developing high amounts of socialism with some capitalism thrown in to jumpstart the economy, like when you attach a car battery to a dying person's nipple piercings. Just kidding, don't do that for the love of God. And then again in the 1970s, we see a global pattern that will be repeated again in the 1980s, 1990s, mid-2000s, and today, where a massive economic shift shakes the faith people have in capitalism. Poorest countries like the U.S., like, really enjoy some Sundari pussy, keep coming back for a side of ass with that abuse burger. Meanwhile, in the 1990s, Eastern Europe begins to transition away from communism and into socialist and capitalist systems as the Soviet Union falls and member states are thrown into absolute chaos. So, now, let's go over the U.S. history portion. Now, the first thing to talk about is the period between 1600 and 1865, as just a thing to keep in mind. This era that covers a massive chunk of U.S. history is referred to as the American Age of Commerce. Now, what could possibly be happening in the U.S. to describe this massive period of time? Well, besides being colonized and a lot of imperialist drama and a whole-ass revolution and slavery, the other thing happening was, was a whole lot of mercantilism. Basically, from its earliest days, the American colonies were meant to provide resources to the motherland. And the area that would later become the U.S. has pulled a lot of attention away from things like subsistence farming and pulled it towards the cash cow that was the growing of commercial crops and production of commercial goods. But there was a problem for the colonists. On the northern parts, there were plenty of people to do the work. The soil was a real pansy and couldn't support the nutrient vacuum seal suck that a lot of the cash crops do. Southern soil, however, the fucking alpha male that it was, could take the suck and live. Meaning that the South had a lot of the cash crop production, while the North 
with its massive fucking cities and sexy ports, became viable to support massive production of commercial goods like alcohol, textiles, and other shit that people back then nutted over, which produce a stratification between North and South as the North industrialized more quickly, but the South had all the good land, which produced the kind of cultural changes that caused the Civil War. Now, before the Civil War broke out, a ton of German immigrants came to the U.S., bringing with them to the North treacherous un-American ideals like workers' rights and enjoying your life. That is to say, brought over the idea of workers' unions, and in fact, founded or helped to found a good number of them. Following the Civil War, don't worry, I'm not skipping it because I don't want to talk about it, it's just not necessary for this discussion, came a period of rapid industrialization and a full embracing of the Industrial Revolution. Beginning in 1865 and into 1880, the number of railways more than triples and mining explodes as a new source of worker abuse. I mean income. A lot of other industries like farming, mining, and factory work see massive increases in efficiency as mechanization takes hold and the pure work output of America skyrockets. Now, something to know is that this wasn't government regulated. Rather, it was because of pure capitalist adrenaline. Also, important as a side note for later, is the union the Knights of Labor are founded in 1969. Now, if you know about them, don't spoil it for the rest of the class, but the thing to keep in mind right now is that they would become highly influential and help organize thousands of union activities. In the late 19th century, because of all this massive growth, the U.S. becomes a hub of international investment in both economy and technology, and this paired with the huge amount of wealth and relative free reign of capitalists, technical inventions are developed at a rapid pace, and many inventors of this period receive a ton of interest from wealthy benefactors and investors. It's all caused the still young stock market to blast through the roof like you gave a child of that decade anything containing caffeine from today. And all of this then resulted in the Gilded Age. This period, between 1877 and 1900, which is aptly described as being beautiful and golden at a distance, but shitty and toxic up close, was an era where capitalists could practically do anything they wanted to. Cronyism, corruption, and capitalist puppeting politicians became the norm, and the amount of money these companies were making today was so incredibly high that it makes American capitalists today have ancestral wet dreams about it. And this also caused such insane levels of poverty and work safety hazards for the poor and working class that the government wasn't really doing fuck all about social issues. And the union action of the time becomes not only super common, but explodes into violence a lot. In the 1870s, for example, unions came out in force to fight against those capitalists. And unfortunately, this meant a lot of blue-collar deaths as the number of quote-unquote union riots that occurred in the 1870s was massive. But amongst the union victories was a series of protests in 1877 that was strategically planned to stall all railroads for six weeks. Imagine something like that today. Imagine if Amazon couldn't get workers to deliver anything for one week. Although, to be fair, I think Amazon would just find a way to execute them and replace their brains with Amazon robots to keep doing the work even in death. You know, like a shittier version of a servitor. Speaking of Warhammer references, you know how the Knights of Labor existed? Well, like Tau, if you thought that they were the good guys, you're wrong. Because while they are becoming immensely strong and organized, the whole train debacle, as well as aiding to end child labor and forcing eight-hour workdays even before FDR, they were also racist as shit. 
they oppose Chinese immigration and not even for the BS they'll take our jobs argument racists use today because they straight up said, you know what, fuck Asian people, and refuse to represent Asians and force unions to get rid of all of their Asian members. They also would quite often encourage workers to commit acts of violence. Mind you, not telling them it's okay, but egging them on. And also, not just against capitalists, against their co-workers that weren't white. Cool, right? And quickly, the Gilded Age came to an end. Because beginning in the 1890s, more and more reporters and news sources became more interested in the fight against corporations and big business getting its finger in America's butthole. At the same time, unions got more and more popular until many of them were able to keep up with their corporate enemies. This in turn inspired the progressive era until the 1920s, a time in which politicians were increasingly praised and encouraged to strike back against corporations trying to fondle their nuts. Included in this was the drastic cuts to corporate power and the trust buster brothers Roosevelt and Taft. While later in their lives they would become rivals and mutual shin kickers, Initially, they shared the same goal of giving business a swift whack of the tonsils with a crowbar the hard way. Partially from their efforts, the efforts of unions and the reporters praising them and turning the public to their side, worker safety laws and wages began to uptick. But for some of you, this would sound like commie shit. And you'd be right. In 1905, both the Industrial Workers of the World, or IWW, and Upton Sinclair's very own Intercollegiate Socialist Society were founded. In 1910 to 1912, the foundations of what would soon be the Socialist Party of America, their progressive allies, make huge strides in helping blue-collar workers, and both become massively popular. This led up to 1912, when the Socialist Party of America, under its leader Eugene V. Debs, wins major victories across the U.S., and membership hits 125,000 people. Now, that might seem like a small number, but that was 0.13% of the population which today would be 42,900,000 no-good pussy-eating socialists. He also, in the same year, got 6% of the votes for President of the United States. Later in 1915, the IWW would gain a membership of 100,000 workers. Back on the capitalism side, a lot of U.S. companies over the course of World War I, on account of financing and producing a ton of shit for the Allied nations even before the U.S. entered into the war, see massive economic booms. And in the direct aftermath of World War I, as the bloodlust wore off, America saw its next enemy standing on the hill across from it. The USSR. And like petty assholes, we refused to acknowledge them as a threat until 1933. And why? communism was a direct threat and attack on capitalism, and this landscape admitting that they exist and succeeded in their revolution would imply America's entire economic system could be overturned and current communist at the hands of workers and unions, which the U.S. had a lot of at the time. So to cut back on the perceived threat, U.S. government and corporations began the first Red Scare, characterizing socialism as the big scary boogeyman that was coming to turn your kids into communists and teach them how to pleasure a woman, a complete beta male trait. And anti-socialist beliefs resulted in massive numbers of arrests, leading to, in 1920, when Eugene Debs was arrested under the Espionage Act of 1917 and the Sedition Act of 1918. The Socialist Party is effectively neutered by this wombo combo, 
And while not particularly preventing them from the cunnilingus they are so known for, it did take a lot of the spirit out of it, and the membership tanks. And while the Great Depression started soon after, neither capitalists nor socialists could recover enough to save their system, would have never allowed it to happen if only America would choose one over the other. Because while the capitalists were reeling from the massive kick in the cog and the knee to the face the entire depression was, socialists were dealing with the party dividing into thousands of sects. A frenzied and rabid push for some of its membership to attack conservatives and capitalists, and the massive disorganization caused by a lot of your leaders being put in fucking prison. And then when FDR was elected, both capitalists and socialists went, oh no, they won, and expected Papa Roosevelt to press the death button. However, FDR wasn't really willing to do that. In fact, during his 1936 campaign, both well-meaning socialists and his detractors compared him to a socialist, which was both terrifying for the man himself, as well as his election staff, considering, you know, the whole Red Scare thing happening at the time. Not to mention how reductionary this really was to his policies on what he was trying to do. In 1938, a lot of fears of both the government and the public even resulted in the creation of the House Un-American Activities Committee. Luckily for everyone affected by the Red Scare, there was quickly another enemy that arrived just in time to keep the U.S. briefly distracted. Nazis. You know, because you remember when America hated these guys? Anyways, during World War II, American business and economy once again exploded as it began to support and supply the Allied powers, while the rest of Europe, Asia, and Africa was getting its asshole prolapsed by Europe, Asia, and Africa, the U.S.'s butthole remained relatively intact, meaning it was one of the few unaffected economic and commercial juggernauts in the entire world. So as the rest of the fucking planet leaned on the U.S.'s economy to rebuild, the economy skyrocketed. Not always hunky-dory, however, as the once allies and now philosophical adversaries in the United States and Soviet Union were facing off like those memes of dude with sword fighting giant monster, except both were playing both roles. And instead of turning the already hollowed-out pubic cavity of the entire fucking world into an even bigger shitstorm, the superpowers decided to do that to smaller parts of the world through a series of proxy wars and espionage, often called the Cold War. I personally prefer the phrase, the great nose-fucking of Asia and the Middle East. And in this climate, combining with the increasing fears of communist sympathizers with the U.S., a cycle was created. Seeing as communism and socialism had become associated with the USSR and capitalism with the U.S., it became increasingly frowned upon to support either one in any way. Which then meant that capitalist-friendly politicians were elected because they were seen as more patriotic, which deepened the association between American capitalism, and so on and so on. In 1947, President Truman issued the Loyalty Order, which made all federal employees get analyzed to ensure their loyalty to the government. Which, yikes. It was essentially show your loyalty or be witch-hunted, which is not too dissimilar to the threat that communism had in the mind of the common man. And this developed alongside McCarthyism, where the government would essentially put someone on trial for being a commie. But the amount of evidence required wasn't really much, and this really looked like the witch burnings from the 1600s. And this continued from around 1938 until other senators looked at McCarthy and said, fuck you, and held a series of hearings in 1954. And while some would say at this point the witch hunt stopped, somehow the Red Scare remained until the Cold War ended, some saying as late as the end of 1991 to beginning of 1992. But... With that, let's shift over to the current status of socialism and capitalism in the United States. 
So we're going to begin this part by talking about how people in the U.S. feel about these systems. And to be honest, in my opinion, a lot of it is pretty wishy-washy. Because as I'll try to show you, when things are good, the number of people in favor of both systems is really high. And when things are awful, support drops. And to demonstrate this, I'll be using the pandemic economy. Now, while I can't say people were really even the Vegas facsimile of happy in 2019, things economically were technically better, so it counts. Alright, so as of 2019, the number of people that were in favor of socialism in the U.S. was 42%, with 9% of those being super socialist. And for capitalism, that figure is 65% in favor with 24% being a ride-or-die capitalist. And in 2022, after all the shit happening, 36% of people are in favor of socialism, and 6% are super-socialist. And for capitalism, the people into it fell to 57%, and the people very into it dropped to 21%, which is a 6% drop for socialism overall, and an 8% drop for capitalism. The people against socialism in 2019 numbered at 55%, with 32% being very anti-socialist. And for capitalism, it was 33% against it, with 10% being aggressively anti-capitalist. In 2022, 60% of Americans didn't like socialism, with 33% super-hating it, and 39% dislike capitalism, and 12% are already writing their communist manifestos which is a 5% increase in skepticism and socialism and a 7% increase in capitalism. And while you shouldn't necessarily trust just these statistics to say anything particularly damning about how Americans think of these systems, one thing is very clear. When things get bad, people suddenly aren't that sure about their economic beliefs. And it seems from these stats that people that believe in capitalism are more likely to change their minds when shit gets bad. I mean, not by much or statistically significant degree, but, you know, there's something for your internet arguments. But moving on from my incredibly biased opinions for now, let's look at why people hold these opinions, beginning with socialism. Now, of the people that dislike it, 19% said it's because it undermines work ethic and increases government reliance. Which I'll, I'll give them half of that, because yes, it does create greater levels of government reliance, but they're forgetting to take into account that some people do shit because, you know, they take pride in what they do, or like what they do. 18% say it's a historical failure, as every time it's implemented, socialism doesn't work. Which is a classic example of confusing socialism and communism. Communist countries don't work, but most European countries have been somewhat socialist since the 1950s at least. And we've had socialist programs like poverty relief, social security since, what, conservatively the 19-fucking-30s? And even if they don't work very well, that's still socialism being implemented and the government hasn't collapsed yet. Alright, the next 17% of people are just generally negative Nancys and throw a hissy fit that people answer that they like socialism. Another 17% respondents also replied that undermines democracy. And this one kinda has a point. And pure socialism certainly can, and a large nation like the U.S. would be hard to implement a purely socialist system in because of its size and diverse environments and economic needs, even assuming that everything was fair under a system that also respects democracy. 4% said that capitalism is just straight up better, which is just pure opinion, so there's not really any kind of fallacy or dumbness happening here. But people can have wrong opinions. 
and 2% don't exactly like socialism by itself, but would support blending it with capitalism. And I'm honestly a little pissy more people didn't think like this. Because I do, and I want America to agree with me. Alright, and now for the positive theaters that believe in socialism. By far the largest chunk of people, at 31%, believe that creates a fairer and more generous system. And while I'm tempted to agree, the problem is that the government has to give a fuck about all people equally. Which it doesn't. If you're American and surprised by this, where the fuck have you been for the past almost 300 years? You sleep through every history class, never go outside, and never watch the news or YouTube ever? The government pretty much has systemic inequalities, meaning if America went socialist, guess who'd still get the finger? Anyways, 20% says that builds upon and improves capitalism, and these are my people. Kinda. I do agree with them that socialism builds on capitalism like power zoids and makes it better. I'm just a little wary these days of people that say, actually the best situation is to change nothing and put band-aids on it. The 6% say it's a historical success, which is the exact opposite of what I just fought against, so I should agree wholeheartedly, right? Well, no, because as much as I have impressed on you that communism and socialism aren't the same thing, the most total interpretations of something even resembling pure socialism have been communist states. And they haven't worked. Like I said earlier, even in the rest of Europe, they're still playing capitalism. They just aren't as terrified of socialists as we are in the U.S. Also, I'm a contrarian, I have authority issues, and I'm trying to look balanced on this podcast so that you listen. Whoops, I said the quiet part out loud. Alright, another 4% just think it's straight up better than capitalism. Which, again, not going to fall to personal belief, even if it's dumb. And the last 4%, just in, also that was a pity thing, I, I like socialism. Uh, and the last 4%, just in general, feel pretty good about socialism. Which is very vague, especially because there are other reasons and respond with, I don't know, I just kind of like it. Like a grade schooler asked why they like their crush, and it's, it's just dumb. And moving on to capitalism's detractors, the most commonly cited reason is that capitalism creates unequal wealth distribution at 23% of respondents. Now I was going to say that's bullshit and tell you why, you're going to be disappointed. Because that's actually the point of capitalism. Well, sure, under some understanding of capitalism, the workers are selling their labor to people with the capital to exchange money for their effort. In practice, what this means is that poor people sell their bodies to the rich because they need food, and all the food conglomerates are selling bread for $500 per slice. Which reminds me, 20% cite exploitation, which, again, that is also true. I'm the very, in the very definition of capitalism, the thing being explained is an exploitative relationship. Because all the capitalist needs is a number of brain-fucked laborers that believe the capitalist has their best interests in mind to work, and they are otherwise completely independent. While the workers are dependent on business father to give them an allowance in order to exist. At 11% is general negativity, because for some of these cock-hungry communists, it's too much labor on their means of production to form an argument that isn't no and throwing a fit. 8% 8% say it undermines democracy, and hey, I'm having flashbacks to the other list, uh, but yes, for basically the flick reason that socialism can. Rather than giving the government too much power, pure capitalism gives it too little power. And of course, money talks, so people with money can influence politics much easier in the system because there are more of them with more money. 
And finally is the 4% pink commies that say that capitalism needs to be regulated better. And again, I find myself agreeing. There's no experience in my life that has taught me otherwise. Capitalists have a tendency to give human decency, the environment, and a lot of times even logical reasoning and thought processes, the trusty old double bird brown eye. Okay, okay, so what's people's defenses of capitalism? 24% of people say its biggest benefit is promoting individual opportunities and success, which, yes, it does, but there's subtext here. Because the more capitalist a system is, yes, the theoretical heights it could reach is much higher, but the lows are also a fuck ton lower. And with unchecked capitalism, this ranges from God King of the planet Earth to only having the organs required to not fucking die to pay off your medical debts. This also, again, assumes a system with zero inequities caused by all the isms in the dictionary, which also isn't true. 22% of people just feel positive because their creativity was sold to prevent them from questioning Papa Musk. 20% replied that's essential to America as a society, which I think that right there shows us why we can't get any fucking socialist systems even when we need one. Because we of Americans have been convinced the only way to have a good, wholesome American life is to subscribe to the let's get this bread gamers mindset imposed upon us by capitalists. Alright, and the last 14% have the same argument as someone in a relationship with more red flags than a street brawl between neo-Nazis and communists in front of the Tennessee state capitol. I know it's not perfect, but that's okay. This argument is essentially that we have a whole lot to fix with capitalism. Like, a whole fucking lot to fix. But it's worth sticking around and trying to fix it because we met in high school when he was a really good guy. Sorry, wires are getting crossed. Anyways, less sarcastically, I get it. There are some parts of capitalism that is good, like genuinely good, but those are also the parts that people think will go away if we fix it. I personally disagree, but still. Now briefly, before we talk about the pros and cons of these systems in full, let's look at one more round of opinion. These opinions are what people think about them in one of three categories. Equal opportunity for success, meeting basic needs, and restriction of freedom. For equal opportunities of success, only about 52% of people believe socialism provides it, while 46% believe it doesn't. Capitalism, on the other hand, has 64% of people going to bat for it that provides equal opportunities to succeed, meanwhile 34% don't think it does. For meeting basic needs, 65% of people agree socialism does, and 32% don't. Capitalism, surprise, surprise, has a lower amount at 47% of people who agree and 51% that disagree. So it seems at the very least people can agree that socialism is better at meeting basic needs. Okay, and finally, how restrictive are these systems on your freedom? 62% of the red-blooded, throbbing-dicked Americans say that socialism is restrictive, while the 36% fucking communists that have somehow infiltrated infiltrated our country disagree. However, 42% turn around and say capitalism is restricting your freedoms, and 54% say it isn't while wearing an Amazon vest on their day off because Bezos might call them to stand on a cement floor for 10 hours with all electronics that contact the outside world in a Faraday cage half a mile away. Alright, finally done with the plebeians. So let's talk about the pros and cons of each system. Starting alphabetical order and no other reason, Capitalism. The pros of capitalism, put into simple terms, is skate fast, smoke ass, and eat grass. 
This is because of the first two benefits put together. First, the amount of money in a capitalist system and the rate at which it enters into the system is as fast as I'm becoming your father. In other words, it's already happening right now as you're hearing this. Secondly, is that capitalism puts innovation into overdrive because capitalists are screeching for any advantage they can get over their competitors, and this incentivizes people to innovate, giving us to make the belt on this one particular machine used for industrial logging 0.01% faster. Some corporations really care about that minute increase in speed. But there are other benefits. Speaking of competition, because businesses are fighting each other like they're on Jerry Springer, the prices for customers are controlled. I mean, usually. Because when companies are small enough where competition actually helps them more than cooperation, their prices are crazy low. But obviously, when there are a few competitors in a field, it becomes more convenient to cooperate and raise prices together. What the system also does is that if the workers are represented properly or powerful enough, capitalism tends to allow them to have a much stronger voice where where they choose to work and buy influences capitalists to act for their interests too. Of course, this becomes a problem in places like the U.S. where things like unions and having human rights is seen as pansy-ass liberal propaganda. Finally, the other benefit is that the places goods and services get allocated are more organic and more naturally reflect the needs or perceived needs of the area. For example, who knew that there was a market for horse dildos? The government couldn't have imagined that, and judging by the number that fly off the shelves constantly, my guess is a statistically significant number of you are happy about that. But because of capitalism, you can buy your no-cock-like-horse-cocks without having to ask Daddy Sam. All this makes the distribution of goods a lot more efficient because you know for sure it's going where it's needed. Now, what are the drawbacks? Well, first of all, the system is built on and aggravates the class warfare between the rich and poor. Because the rich are the ones that have the money, and they so graciously give it to us peasants. And we don't even own the comically large electric rock saw that we could use to fight back if need be. Added on to this is that because capitalists are sneaky Darwinist bastards, the most cold-hearted policies and tactics are the ones that get met with success. So stuff like corruption and cronyism are incentivized to increase the profits of capitalists, which usually means a lower protection, security, and pay for workers, which then exacerbates things like wealth and social inequalities and unfairness, poverty, and unemployment. Not even touching on the rampant safety issues and violations of workers' human rights. And the other drawback is that because capitalism as a system is focused so heavily on squeezing value out of literally everything, it sucks for resources like your wife who sucks come from my dick, and like the revelation that I'm nutting your wife whose mouth leaves immense devastation behind. Not only that, but the amount of pollution created by capitalism is wild, because the best way to keep customers coming back is make your products one use or have short lifespans, which are then dumped into landfills and waterways because, you know, some people are scum. Alright, now for the pros and cons of socialism. The first and biggest of the pros is that every citizen, in theory at least, has access to basic necessities like food, water, shelter, and healthcare. Because these things would be provided either for free from the government or bought by the government from farmers then sold at an incredibly low price to local businesses. And obviously, part of this includes a price control on these businesses. But regardless, you can give the people immense power by ensuring they all have their basic needs met. As an effect of this, as well as having better representation in the workplace because you own your workplace, it also reduces social stratification, meaning that everyone is closer to being middle class than they are in a capitalist system. 
Also, because you own your workplace, it eliminates or shrinks corporate mono, duo, trio, and quadruples that are such a motherfucking hassle in a capitalist system to regulate. This means that the capitalists, once you knock them down from their high horse, can't get back up because you're still kicking them in the ribs like they deserve. And finally, socialism allows for a wealth-earning balance because the thing determining your wealth is no longer a combination of being lucky to be born at the correct time to be successful, the social connections you have to make as a child before you understand why that matters. Instead, the amount of wealth you have is equal to the amount of money you earn, which is directly related to how much you work because you're being paid for your time rather than the amount of money you make your boss's boss's boss. Alright, and the cons. So, first off, you are giving the government quite a lot of fucking control. If you can't trust them to not be scumbags, that's a major problem. Because they're all collecting the goods that the entire nation has produced and are supposed to fairly distribute them. But if they're corrupt, they won't. Or racist, or sexist, or homophobic, or assholes. Now the other less sexy thing, unless you're an accountant, is that it increases taxes. Because the government is suddenly spending a whole lot of money. Which means they need to offset that by collecting higher taxes. Now, for most of us right now, that sounds pretty fucking awful. But keep in mind that they're also providing basic needs for basically nothing, so you're really coming together as a community to buy everyone's food, so the money you're getting taken from you is essentially your fun money, the money you use for things like having hope and buying the services of the unionized communist hookers. But that actually brings up another thing. The taxes, not hookers. The amount of fucking bureaucracy that goes into this. Because if you're in charge of the government agency, supplying a single hospital, think of literally everything that hospital will need for a full year with the full understanding that if you get it wrong, people will die. No pressure. So, assuming the government gives a fuck, you need so many layers of bureaucracy to make sure you don't miss a single motherfucking thing or everyone is going to know you fucked it up. And if you got wrong in the other direction and oversupplied everyone, suddenly you have a ridiculous surplus that you just wasted Daddy Sam's money on. Money he definitely didn't take for the people that fought to put the system in place in the first place. People that definitely can't remove you from it if they want. All of this makes socialism really bureaucratic, slow, and expensive. Makes it perfect for a stable, neutral, or otherwise gridlocked and rich country. The other problem is more of a workplace problem. Since the workers own the place and share in its profits, the incentive for people who want high pay is to ensure you keep the minimum number of workers as possible, and you'd really don't want to hire people that improves the entire company. Problem is that if you get it wrong and hire a real shitter, not only is the money being reduced for everyone that isn't the shitter, but they're also getting all the same employment protections and unit representation that everyone that is actually paying attention gets, meaning you can't get rid of them easily which in turn means that you're less willing to hire in the future, which might make employment a premium resource. What can also happen is that shitters will be shitters, and the people actually trying will get increasingly frustrated that the dude on his phone all day and him are making the same amount of money. They might decide, fuck it, I'm not trying anymore, and start a podcast. Any similarities to people living or dead is completely coincidental. But this also means that people that are low-motivation sad boys like me, or actually just the assholes that give us a bad name that enjoy being lazy and doing nothing, are less likely to do anything because our survival isn't on the line. 
Only the highly motivated or people with strong desires for specific things the government won't give them will have high incentives to work, and otherwise the only incentive is to get some drug money and a sense of accomplishment. Which, while highly effective for greed and hedonism-motivated motherfuckers like me, isn't effective for the dude that's self-actualizing while playing League of Legends as computers for 20 hours a day. Okay, but those are the pros and cons of both systems. As you might be able to see, they can cover each other's weaknesses, huh? Almost like they're two systems that have been built around each other, but have been separated for no other reason than tribalism, right? We'll get to that more at the soapbox, but for now, let's go over the actual politics. So in this section, seeing as we all basically understand where liberals and conservatives in the U.S. stand on this, we can skip past that part. This is surprise any of you, socialists are usually leftists, and capitalists are usually right-wing. Fucking wild, right? So instead, what we're doing is taking those same parameters from earlier and showing you what people think when you divide them by politics rather than their beliefs. So as of 2022, the number of liberals that approve of socialism is 57%, and the number of conservatives is 14%. 21% higher than average on the left, and 22% lower on the right. However, the number of liberals approving of capitalism in 2022 is 46%, and to the conservatives, 74%, 8% lower on the left, and 17% on the right. And why is this? Well, simply put, leftists are generally about the equity of the most people at once, and overall better performance and public order in the sense of overall quality of living and happiness, while conservatives are generally more about cultural homogeny, preservation of traditions and traditional values, and recapturing the benefits of better times while maintaining public order through rigid moral rules. So when a leftist sees a socialist, they see an ally, and the same for conservatives and capitalists, because in America, the biggest traditional values we have are immense personal wealth and land ownership, and the capitalists have both. So they become a beacon of traditional America, while for leftists, the socialists become the beacon of what America should be. And yes, that's the simple answer. This whole episode is the much, much longer and more difficult answer. Anyways, the other thing we're going to judge on is the same tracker for happiness and needs we used earlier. So first, does socialism or capitalism provide equal opportunities for success? 30% of conservatives believe socialism does, while they're suspiciously red-colored allies, 70% of conservatives believe it doesn't. While 82% of them believe capitalism does and 17% don't. For leftists, 74% believe socialism provides equal opportunities, while 25% don't, and 51% believe that capitalism does, and 49% don't, and democratically it means all leftists believe capitalism provides everyone with equal opportunities. Kidding. Okay, second, which provides basic needs better? 47% of conservatives say socialism, while 52% says that it doesn't at all. 60% believe that capitalism does, however, with 38% in disagreement, which means 13% of conservatives are in favor of a mixed economy. Which hunt each other over at conservatives, I dare you. On the left, 85% believe that socialism provides better and 15% disagree. While on the other hand, 36% say that capitalism provides their people better and 62% disagree means it's time for us lefties to witch hunt 21% of leftists. And finally, which gives you a curfew and a bad time and treats you like a, the dirty boy that you are? But in a bad way. Maybe? 
Anyways, 82% of conservatives say socialism does, while 16% say not at all, likely because of the phrasing of the question. Meanwhile, 31% say capitalism definitely because of that phrasing, and 68% are still in the closet about their mommy kink. For leftists, 46% say socialism is restrictive, while 52% actually kind of like the idea of getting babied by mommy socialism, which, I mean, same, honestly. 52% say that capitalism is restrictive, while 45% say it isn't while getting some capitalist titty shoved in their mouth, which, again, mood. But besides being a cool little chart graph to look at, what does this prove? Well, that Rule 34 certainly is real. But beyond that, even within these groups we consider to be homogenous, have a ton of different beliefs, and some of them might even agree with us. Which actually segues nicely into the soapbox. Now for everyone's favorite part of the show, where I give my milk toast opinion and expect people to be angry about it. Well, what do I have this week? Well, that really, socialists should put down their hammers and sickles, and capitalists should put away their rifles and just fucking tongue each other already. Everyone can see where this is going, we should just stop teasing and go raw already. Your capitalist waifu is going to get fucked by socialism tentacles, and guess what? She's going to like it. Because, as I hinted earlier, these systems fill each other's gaps nicely. While capitalism tells you to eat ass and go fast and does reckless shit, like give soulless corporations plenty of land to completely fuck up, it also says safety rails are for pussies. Socialism's whole thing is to be calm, quiet, and methodically do your taxes and also fill out order form 17D to 332Y. While socialism very easily causes employment premiums and chokes out luxury production, capitalism pushes you to get a shit, do-nothing job so you can afford more non-government subsidized anime girl figurines for you to totally do normal things to. While capitalism does everything in its power to get money and fuck bitches, socialism is at least trying to give you a total of a single shit towards the very real cost of that attitude. And while socialism wants everything to go as expected, day in and day out, and is totally fine and dandy as long as everything goes as planned and stays relatively the same, capitalism energizes people to innovate and look at the possibilities and take on big risks in order to compete in a space with massive rewards. In a lot of ways, these two are an odd couple or successful management dynamics we haven't let interact, not even with a sniff check through the door because we're worried about breaking the parts of the system that work. But the problem is that we're in the modern day. Capitalism works really well in a high-scarcity, high-competition society where you need to say, fuck you, God, and eat some ass. Socialism works really well in a low-scarcity, low-excitement society where you need to take it slow and not fuck everything up. And we are right in the middle of that. Some people have high scarcity, but the capitalists have moved on from them. We have a high population that can't find work because labor has gotten too efficient and companies save too much money with less. But we also don't live in a world where we have the comfort and obsolescence to sit back and do nothing, nor the peace required to make capitalism obsolete. So it's okay to break these systems apart and Frankenstein them together, because right now, we have to. And will people mope and cry and complain about it? Duh. That's like one of four things we're good at as Americans. Will leftists be upset that capitalism is ruining their perfect virgin system of an economy with its voluptuous titties and fat fucking ass? Yes. Will capitalists be angry that their Americana waifu is getting dicked down by someone other than them? Yes. But that doesn't mean that socialism and capitalism aren't enjoying themselves. It just means we don't like watching it. 
I mean, besides, we gotta change something around here, considering how fucked up the entire U.S. economy is and how often extremists are using the very evident and rampant hopelessness and poverty to recruit us and the rich are blinding us with bills and backbreaking labor. We should, I don't know, try a system that helps us all out and really motherfucks the people at the top lying to us that everything's okay. Anyways, let's end the show. And episode 6 is done. Man, I hope that capitalism and socialism kids are kind of cute. But fucking hate to regret advocating for making love with a tentacle monster if they're ugly. Anyways, as always, if you have opinions, advice on how to make the show better, God, please, anything but fan art from this episode, your completely unbiased opinions about the economy, and really anything else you want to tell me, make sure to email me at waytetpods at gmail.com. That's W-A-Y-T-A-T. B-O-D-S at gmail.com. Remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat Nerd, where I do basically the same thing with nerd topics like fantasy, sci-fi, role-playing games, etc. Where I hope you'll like the topics just as much. And also remember to follow me on Twitter at Waytat underscore pods for more episode announcements. Have a good night. Don't murder. Have fun. And remember, capitalism will never suck your dick, no matter how many of our Instagram posts you like. This has been Why Aren't You Talking About This? I've been your host, William. Good night.